Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 134 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbonis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. His name is Bob Lucius. I call him Bob. Oh, Bob. I got a girlfriend that's better than this, but you don't remember it all. As we get older and stop making sense, you won't find her waiting long. Stop making sense. Stop making sense. I got a girlfriend. She's better than that. And nothing is better than this. Is it? Is it, Rick? Is it? Is it, Rick? I mean, is it really? Exactly. Uh, you're not. You're doesn't not, get any better than this, Bob. Yeah, you're not making sense. I totally, I've stopped making sense. <laughs> uh, you probably yeah. don't recognize the song. I do. I do. I, I now now I do. Yeah, of course. It's uh, girlfriend is heads, better. But who is the band? The Talking Heads. It is the Talking Heads. Yeah. And why did I pick that song? Because you're a big fan. I'm a good fan. I'm not a, a fan. big fan. Oh, I like a... I like Talking Heads, especially back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but I I you know who was a huge Talking Heads fan back in the day? I don't. Bob, we've been doing this a long time. Right? <laughs> you, do you ever like put two and two together and go? I, like, I really don't. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not Bob, a mathematician. Who, Bob, what are we was talking it, about today? Was it was it Mark Grunewald? Yes, it was Mark. Ah. Yes, we even we even brought that up it, many <laughs> times in this podcast series. We have brought it up a few times that oh, that, that uh, he's a big talking head. That's probably it. Must have been one of those times when I had you muted. <laughs> probably <laughs> right I, your your eyes tend to glaze over uh sometimes when i'm when i'm talking yeah, yeah. so yes mark grunewald who we are celebrating today yeah uh is uh well he was a, a pretty big talking heads fan and i'm gonna i'm gonna tie it all together bob do you know uh what was the issue number of captain america when he started writing the series. Oh, don't you start Googling. I can Googling. see the reflection I'm not, in your glasses. I'm, I'm wondering. I see the screen. Uh, that's not what I was Googling, actually. Uh, uh, I was trying to remember the the lead singer of The Talking Heads. Byrne, was this? Yeah, it's yeah, David Byrne. Yeah. 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 I, I just saw <clears> him on an advertisement last week. Oh, really? Yeah. He's Is he coming back out with an album or something? But he was he tried on that suit again. Oh, know? the large suit. Yeah, he's well, by the way, guy now. And he put on that suit and he was like trying it out in his bedroom. Ah, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, so Stop Making Sense was uh, a lyric in the song, Girlfriend is Better, but mm -hmm. it was also the name of the album, the live album and the, the, the movie yeah, it's coming that, back was made, uh, that was made for, it was called Stop Making Sense. Yeah. And in that, in the concert, yes, he wore the large suit. Uh, yeah. at the end of the concert. Um, but you you can't now. you can't get away with it, Bob. No. What I no was idea. the first issue no idea, that Mark Grunewald wrote? Couldn't tell you. Take a wild guess. Uh, um, <laughs> I have no idea. None. None? Zippo. All right, let's work this through, Bob. All right. All right. What was the last issue that J.M. Damateus wrote? No idea. Oh, come on. You, Rick, I do not remember these numbers. Yes, but but think of the conversations. We had Damateus on the show. 
Yes, I know. Right. And the last story that he was doing was the big Red Skull Captain America death issue. And he was like, after that, he quit the book. Yeah. What was the big death issue for Captain America versus Red Skull? Uh, Was it like something something 50? It was 300, Bob. Oh, 300. There. Oh, big issue 300. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Coming back to you now? Yep, I got it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Now, let's take it one step further. All right. Right? There was a writer between DeMatteis and Mark Grunewald. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm not going to ask you who that was. Okay, thank you. All right, it was Mike Carlin. <laughs> All right. How many issues did he do? Four. That's a bad guess, Bob. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> we just did the favorite Captain yep. America writer bracket. Yeah. Yeah. We had 32 writers on there. Yeah. Mike Carlin was one of the writers. Was. What was one of the prerequisites for a writer to make the top 32? Five. Six issues, Bob. Six. It had six. to be six. Where did you come up with six? I don't know. Just roll the I, dice. I know it was one of those things where it was like, well, can I add them? You know, oh, they only wrote six. Okay, well then that's the minimum. Okay, so it was sorry. one of those things, right? Yeah. So thirty-two. All right. So if the last issue of Damateus was oh, issue, here we go with the math again. The last issue of Damateus was number three hundred. Three hundred. All right. And if Mike Carlin, he did wrote six. six issues. What would be the first issue that Mark three oh seven? Yes, look at you! <laughs> I passed third grade math. Look at you! All right, absolutely. Mark this is Grunewald. why my son doesn't ask me to help him with his math homework. <laughs> yeah, it's the new math. The new- uh, so if if the issue three oh seven was the first yeah. issue Mark Grunewald and kicked off his ten year run wow. of writing yeah. Captain America. Take a wild guess. What do you think the title to issue 307 was? <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> the title to his story was. Oh, I can't recall. Stop making sense. Oh, Rick, you are amazing. I, you know, I don't know if people tell you that regularly throughout the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I want to I want to reinforce it right now that you are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how you don't pick up on this stuff. Uh, yeah. It had, I, why would I pick that song? And it comes back. You could have like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's deductive reasoning, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it is when you already have the answer. Yeah. Oh, I make a great, it seems really easy. I make a great, a great detective when I write the detective story. Uh, just one more thing. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So today we are celebrating Mark Grunewald. Um, why are we doing that? Well, if you've been living under a rock, in in beginning of March, I think it was like March 5th or something like that, um, we kicked off uh, this year's bracket, Cap Madness bracket. We, this is our third one. Uh, we, we did in 2001, we did favorite Captain America artist, 2002 or 22, I should say. Um, we did fa- favorite Captain America cover. This year we decided to do writer. And so we had 32 writers and uh, Mark Grunewald won. And so we figured uh, we would want to have on today a couple of guests to to uh, help celebrate. And, and so we have Catherine Schuler Grunewald, 
which was Mark's wife, and Jason Olson, who wrote a, an excellent book about Mark Grunewald and his tenure writing of Captain America. So we're going to have them on the show today. That's exciting stuff, Rick. This is, and it's a great combination. So kudos uh, on putting this together. And and by the way, kudos on that March Madness. I know a lot of folks really enjoyed that. And mm. uh, uh, it was a great outlet for a lot of folks. And um, and I know they're already looking forward to next March. So well, mom, mom, it was my pleasure. It was a labor of love. And uh, thanks for showing up today, Bob. It's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We always appreciate that. I feel it's the least I can do. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, we, and we're going to have a few other surprises today yeah. uh, to celebrate Mark too. So, um, you know, we'll, we, I don't want to give any of those away. We do have some birthdays, Bob. We have some birthdays this week of uh, famous Captain America creators. And uh, <laughs> when I say that, Creators. I, I feel like I, I want to do it in uh, Marvin the Martian voice. Creators. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blow up the earth. Nicely done. Yeah. I don't know. It just comes <laughs> out. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, this one is really not a huge creator known, uh, but celebrating today. Uh, if you're if you're listening today, which is May third, um, today's birthday is Bill Sinkevich. And so uh, he's done some cap stuff. He mm -hmm. did uh, some some cool covers. He did that really cool what, what if, if cover. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's did a few others. Um, I know stuff. See. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he did um, back in in 1990. There we were celebrating 50 years uh, of Captain America, and Marvel did uh, a couple of uh, different. Um, yeah, you know, s s specials and then collections and things like that. And um, uh, so Bill Sienkiewicz did this really cool poster. Pull it up because I have one here. It's beat to heck, but special. Um, do you remember this this poster? Yeah, Bob? I think I have one of those. Yeah. Guess what? Look at that. Wow. Look and, at that. And uh, there's a little note that says, "Yes, that is Bill Sienkiewicz's signature." Wow. Yeah. So I, uh, I have this, uh, this was, uh, it was a gift, um, sent to me by Ken Fries, who, um, does a lot of different, really cool Facebook groups, uh, uh -huh. focused on artists. Um, and the one I, um, visit the most is probably the, the, the Mike Zek page. Mm -hmm. Um, and he also launched one not too long ago for, um, Kevin McGuire. Yeah. And as you know, I'm a huge Kevin McGuire fan. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I highly suggest people go check check out those groups because um, it's a lot of fun. It's just basically posting art of of those creators. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah. And I don't know about you, but when, when I was younger, I didn't know how to pronounce Sienkiewicz. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I used to call him Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah. Uh, and, and until uh, let me let me let's, when did I when did I realize uh, just tonight, actually. So, congratulations! You taught me something tonight. Oh, you're today years old when you yeah Sinkevich. Yeah. And yeah. and listen, I I I'm pretty sure it is. I've heard that during like interviews mm -hmm. and things like that. But I I I could be getting it wrong too. So yeah. don't quote me. Well, was that it? Was it just one birthday? Oh uh, no, no. There's another birthday coming oh. up, May six. Uh, friend of the show, friend of the Facebook group, Mr. John Beatty. Wow. All right. Yes, uh, embellisher, inker, uh, penciler, uh, 
just an all around swell guy, um, longtime partner of Mike Zek, John Beatty. He celebrates a birthday May 6th. And um, actually, we had him on the show. If uh, You remember did. that? I do. I do. Unforgettable. Yeah, we had him on episode 43, if anybody wants to check that out. Um, he was on the show, uh, I guess it was in, it was August of 2021, I want to say. So yeah, way back in episode 43. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, John John came on and, and told us some really cool stories, uh, including his time with Mike Zach. So yeah. that, that was fun. Yeah. Happy lot birthday, of, lot, John. Lot like Really like personal stories, right? About their friendship and how they got to know each other. And... Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. It was a great interview. It was. Yeah. It's always fun running into him at various shows because he does a lot of shows in, in, in the area that I live in. Uh, so it's always nice running into him. I uh, Doesn't he live in Florida? Like, how is that possible? I don't know. I don't have shows down here to run into people. You have plenty of shows down there. You just don't go to them. Well, they're like up in Orlando. Yeah. It's like four and a half hours away. Okay. So, Bob, do you get anything new? Um Anything new recently that you're hiding from your wife? Uh, no, nothing, nothing new that I'm hiding. Um, last thing, you know, was that Captain Carter uh, statue that I got. Ah. Um, you know, she comes into my office every now and again, and she looks up on my shelves and she goes, is that new? And I'm like, that thing? <laughs> no, I, it was in a box in the garage. I was just uh, cleaning out, moving things around. Yeah, I like to change things up. I like to, you know, keep things interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I got some new art coming in, and uh, I don't want to say. I mean, obviously, when people, by the time they listen to this, I've already posted it in the Facebook group. But I have uh, two pieces. One I won an auction. It's a really cool Tim Sale piece from some from Captain America White. Uh, really cool piece. And then I got this other piece that's really really cool. It's like, all right, I'm done for the year. Mm. it's uh i got yeah. a john Byrne. i got oh, a page wow. from the the stern burn those nine issues mm -hmm. yeah i got a really cool page of cap uh in uniform with a shield doing acrobats wow it is a really really cool page like um i i was after this from a private collector and uh, I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. It sounds so fancy when you say that. Like, oh, I was a private collector. You know? <laughs> We're all, I, I'm a private collector. You're a I private collector. I love that way that sounds. It's just right? sounds so fancy. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we're, we're fancy, Rick. Yes, we are. We are indeed. Uh, so, Bob, let's get to celebrating Mark. Um, let's yeah. go ahead and, and let uh, Catherine and Jason out of the green room. Sounds good. Starting back on March 5th, we kicked off this year's Cap Madness bracket with 32 Captain America writers battling it out for the honor of favorite Captain America writer. They were seated by members of our Facebook group and then voted on daily. And we ended it on April 9th. And it came down to the top four seeds in the final four with ultimately the number one seed, Mark Grunewald, beating out number two seed, Ed Brubaker. And, you know, it was all in good fun, but we wanted to celebrate Mark, and we couldn't think of having two better people than our guest today to help discuss Mark's legacy. Uh, we have joining us today Mark's wife, Catherine Schuler Grunewald, and Jason Olson, who is the author of the book, Mark Grunewald and the Star-Spangled Symbolism of Captain America, 1985 to 1995. So welcome back to the show, both of you. 
Thank you, Rick. It's a delight to be here. I'm so glad Mark won. Couldn't and couldn't have been more um, deserved. And I'm so excited to talk to Jason and uh, all all you all you guys are fans. Like Mark would have liked it. He said, "I love my fans, and my fans really get me." And um, Jason has, has has definitely proven that with that book. I mean. The, the topic sense of that book was when Mark died, uh, a giant hole was left in the industry. And I just, it couldn't have been more true than, than ever. But, you know, his, his work lives on. And, uh, you know, it's just great that the, the fans are still happening and discovering it. So that's, that's one of the things that I'm so excited about is, is that I have fans who are in their 60s, but I have fans who are in their 20s. Absolutely. Uh, and we're, we're excited to talk about that today. And and also welcome to you, Jason. And thank you for having me again. It's it's so great to be back, especially, again, on such exciting circumstances. I I, I admit I have been very engrossed over the last several weeks um, in, in the bracket. And it's been fun to follow along and vote and 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 see the passion and enthusiasm. And, and I look forward to talking about all aspects of, of this, especially um, Mark and getting to, to talk about the great work that he did. And, and how it's still resonating today, which is just wonderful and, and such an amazing thing. Yeah. And, and Mark obviously you know, is legendary when it comes to Captain America. I mean, he he surpassed Stan Lee as the longest tenured writer of Captain America, uh, writing for the series from 1985 to 95. And I think it was something like 140 issues. Um, he's obviously very beloved by Cap fans. So, so Catherine, Mark was known for his his sense of humor, his playfulness. What would he have thought of a bracket like this with 32 cap writers? Would he have found it fun and like watched it or would he have been thought as like silly and not care? Oh, he was, a, I think he would have loved it because he loved games and he loved competition. And uh, it wasn't that he, you know, liked being better than anybody, but uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he, he loved playing games with the fans. I went many times to Comic-Cons. Uh, had to record him playing games with them. So uh, anything that engages the writer, uh, I mean, engages the fans uh, in, in to get into the writer's work and to appreciate him uh, and what he was trying to accomplish, I think that's what the true essence of what you did with this contest is how well do you know Gru? How well do you know uh, Englehart? How well do you appreciate, uh, you know, um, Ed? How, you know, all those all those aspects come into play. And I think Mark would have just absolutely loved that whole, um, you know, just whatever gets fans to read. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, maybe somebody discovered it through your contest and read some of the comments and said, you know, let me check that out. 307. Hmm, let me see. I don't know. Went back that far, you know, <laughs> and, so, and yeah, and Bob knows the title to that uh, issue now. Bob, what was it? Uh, Stop making sense, Rick. Yeah, that's it. everybody knows that. That's it. You know why? Because Mark <laughs> was a huge David Byrne fan. I mean, we saw we saw Talking Heads uh, a lot of times together, and uh, it was funny because uh, a few years ago, before COVID, um, American Utopia was on Broadway, and I had just come from teaching, and I said, "Let me go in and see." if I could get a ticket because it was sold out. And so I went to the box office and they said, oh yeah, there's one left. 
So I was like, great, I'll take it. I ran up to the balcony, sat in the seat. This woman comes and sits down, not in the seat next to me that was empty, but in the seat over there and the next to the empty seat. And the lights dimmed and I just felt Mark's presence. And I said, I, the last ticket, I don't think so. Aww. And so all through the concert, I knew he was there. And, I, and the woman said to me, isn't it great the seat was empty? I said, it really wasn't empty. My husband was probably sitting there. And, um, you know, it was just just a, a funny, um, you know, like moment in time where I thought Mark had to be at that concert. He, you know, he loved he loved that. He was a huge David Burns fan. He had a signed album, you know, with the big suit. I had a comedy group called The Nerve, and it was all about the business suit. I built a big business suit. So that whole Talking Heads theme was through both of our lives. And that is just a little anecdote, but, um, you know, I think he was definitely at American Utopia with me. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a that's a very sweet story. Yeah. And and when when you were on the show last um, and you actually touched on a little bit here just a, a minute ago, um, you mentioned Mark once said to you. I don't have many fans, but the ones I do have really get me. I, and, and that that comment always struck with me. And, and would the results of the bracket have made him realize he does have many fans? Yeah, I mean, I, he was always humble, you know, because at Comic-Cons, I mean, you know, there were lines for many writers who were more popular than Captain America, but um, he he appreciated what he was trying to, and he answered every single fan mail uh, that he got, every single piece of letter, because Stan answered his letters, and he got published in the um, letters to the editors when he was a little boy. And he said, I knew I wanted to write when I saw my letter in print. And a lot of, a lot of the, uh, you know, people have said that when um, they got printed in, in the editor's uh, page that it really impacted them. And he answered every single fan mail. And I, I mean, not only did he write uh, Captain America, Quasar, all the titles he worked on and edited, but he also answered fan mail in his spare time. And he even had a translator for the Italian fan mail he got. And Joe Andriotti translated all that too. So he not only answered the American letters, but also the European fans. <laughs> that's, 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 that's pretty amazing. Actually. Jason, yeah. I, I see you smiling <laughs> and nodding. Do, do you, did you want to add something to that? It's, it's, you know, I, I obviously didn't get the good fortune. I, I wish I could have interacted with him. I wish I, I could have, I was, if I was smart enough to have written one of those letters when I was a kid, um, <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have, and I wish I would have. Um, but it just so fits everything that I've heard. I mean, somebody who was just so generous with, with his time and with his creative talents. And, and, you know, I, I thought about your comment a lot of, of Mark's fan base when I was thinking about this bracket, because I wondered like, what if this bracket was, in a more general comics Facebook group. You know, if this would have been done in just Marvel DC comic fan, and every year they had a different bracket of best writer on a given character, you know, and you had a Spider-Man one year, Batman one year, and this year it just happened to be Captain America. Would, would Gru have won that? You know, I mean, because I think that a lot of people who know him and know the work and understand the work, it really connected. 
But, you know, somebody else in another group in the way I would, if I was picking my favorite Batman, right? I haven't spent that much time in that universe. I don't, I don't know who I'd pick. But, but what I think matters here is that the fans of this character resonated with um or Grunwald resonated with them in a way that that I just don't think would happen um if you just got a huge mainstream group and it, it really hits me with what you're talking about with that Catherine this idea that that everybody who really understood him really got the work and others maybe maybe would dismiss it you know and it felt like even in the the conversations there was a little bit of a a detachment between you know, the superhero part and the super soldier part. And we could talk about that as it goes on. But but I thought it was really interesting that, that Mark won. And I, I was I was thrilled too, um, because he really understood this character in a way that I don't think anyone else has um, who's written, at least in my opinion, although there have been some amazing writers um, and still are today. So Catherine, you, um, you are very generous with your time. You're out interacting with, with fans yep. uh, to this day. And undoubtedly, you may, uh, you most likely heard of, of stories of fans interacting with, with Mark um, back in the day. Did, did any stand out for you? Do you recall any? Um, any, any well, of those stories of interaction? you know, he, he has, has these, uh, you know, fans like Scott Tipton, you know, that, that story about him calling him and saying, you know, about these arrows. <laughs> Scott wrote him about these, the arrows weren't barbed enough in Hawkeye that he wouldn't be able to, to penetrate anything. And so he, he got a, a real kick out of playing with the fans. Uh, one fan, and these are the days before you charged for an autograph, but one fan actually brought all of Mark's work and made him sign it at a Comic-Con. <laughs> he got a oh, kick boy. out of that. He said, I can't believe I had to sign all those books, but I think it's probably documented too. Somebody you know, who said, I, I can't believe how, how, how this fan pranked me. And he just said, you know what? You're going to be over the top and bring me all my books. I'm going to sign every one of them. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, a, a nut, a nut. Yes. Yeah. Such a nut. <laughs> and, and how about you, Jason? When you were doing research for the book or, or speaking about it afterwards, had have you, any stories you heard about Mark that stood out? I, I didn't hear a lot of very personal specific stories, but what what I always think about is just how available he was in, in you know Catherine's story about him at the Comic Cons and those conventions and interacting with people. But but how he interacted with those of us who didn't go to those conventions kind of hits too. The the idea of like the marks for marks and and all of these commas co columns that he did over the years, even beyond his work, that made him feel so real. And I I had a friend who passed away a few years ago, and um not not to get you know, move in a totally different direction here. But I have a friend that passed away a few years ago, very unexpectedly, very young. And and it, it he and I used to talk on the phone pretty regularly. But in the last couple of years of his life, he every conversation was just over text at that point. And, you know, and I kind of like talking to him on the phone. We still did. But and then after he passed away, which was still a shock, even if he wasn't well, um, I realized that he had left this gift and he had left this gift of all of these messages that we had accumulated over virtually every day over the previous couple of years. And, and I think in a way, some of Mark's columns and obviously all of his creative work is that gift that he left to us. And I, 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 I cherish it so much. And as a creative writer with my day job is I get to teach creative writing um, in occasionally comics and graphic novels. Um, he talks so much about writing too. And I, I, I want to take a look. I, I don't know if you have a copy of Quasar number 59. 
sitting next to your your desk but i i, oh, I just moved it. i just let had me check. it here yeah ah damn cleaning lady the um the the march remarks in this issue and this is from i think 94 june and it would have been obviously in all of them not just quasar 59 but that's what i have in front of me um he gave a, a list of 10 things that every good marvel story should have and and i just love this list and i i, I have shared it with others and i love talking about it because it it sums up who he was as a writer so completely completely because there's a lot of stuff that's that's kind of general and it's going to work in a lot of ways it's the kind of stuff that i teach in in my classroom but then there are a few things here that are just they're just mark and and i i just i just love them so um number one interesting characters number two events propelled by the character's specific actions and reactions three multi-level conflicts physical emotional mental spiritual symbolic etc four character revealed by decisive actions and tough decisions six Character development, growth, and progression. Uh, six. Uh, Did we I, skip did five? Did I skip five? I said five, but I called it six. Okay, so, so you know six. you're you're you got the the readers on just that like me. I, well, you know what? I, I, I was testing. I was testing you, Rick, and you were there for <laughs> Bob. Doesn't he's glazed over, but I pay attention. So, six point one. So, um, visual action oriented stories. Seven. Sense of wonder. Eight. Resolutions with a sense of hope. Nine, insight into some aspect of the human condition. Ten, some unique element, something never before seen. And, and the list is great at the beginning, you know, getting into character stuff and talking about how you create character, what characters do. But then you get to the, this idea of, of hopefulness. I know, and, number you know, eight. The positivity and yeah. optimism that comes through. And, and I love teaching that in, in my classes too. Not every story will end with a sense of hope. You know, it, it, that's not how it always works. Um, but but I love that that was something that that Mark put such a precedent on in mm -hmm. in his his own work and the way that he was helping teach others. And I love seeing a list like this because it's it's Mark's teacher, you know, trying to to right. share what he's done and what works with others. And I think it's just just splendid. Well, the one thing that I think about Captain America is confidence. You know, when you know he wasn't really have a superpower per se, but he really had a lot of confidence and um, and he knew who he was. And I think that was uh, what Mark to take it on. He knew he knew who he was. He knew Mark, he knew himself and he thought like Captain America because he believed in, um, you know, the that your job should be a reflection of your morals and your integrity. And that's one of the reasons why it got so interesting when he created that character US agent, because he didn't want, you know, he didn't want Cap to take, to take any, you know, like yes man status and, you know, be conflicted that way uh, was so interesting because he wasn't a raw, raw patriot and my country do or, or die. And I thought to myself, um, after he passed away, that that was kind of his um, moral uh, like crisis when he when Marvel was spiraling down and the the bankruptcy was happening. You can love your job too much, and he really felt like he was compromised, and they were trying to get him to write stories with more merchandise possibilities in it and you know he would come home and say that's not the way I create comic books you know that's not the way I want to to um, attack a storyline and so the fact that you're bringing up all of that it really um, 
I mean, it's, it, it, it reflects back to the fact that Mark was the right person for the job. He took it on. They were going to cancel Cap. He said that they were going to cancel it, and he took it on. And um, he really wanted to give Cap depth and turn him into something that was interesting and conflicted. Because most Marvel characters do have that dark side. And when Cap, you know, just gave his, his, you know, his uniform back and that whole storyline, that story arc. Um, and he really, he really tried to match the stories with what was happening in the headlines. So Streets of Poison, you know, it was a lot of drug crisis in the inner cities. Mm -hmm. And he immediately, you know, he was always anchored in the fact that Marvel was set in reality like mm -hmm. same presidents same you know same whereas dc had more you know gotham city that doesn't exist mm -hmm. but that marvel was really anchored in reality and i think he really loved exploring that and bringing himself into it and i know that i lived with captain america i mean <laughs> i i know what it was like to live with captain america he always tried to do the right thing i know that sounds you know um uh, almost too altruistic and too idealistic, but he really tried to do the right thing to every, with everyone, to everyone, and not to play favorites or you know just you know his inside Marvel uh, you know persona, the way he wrote, the way he lived was all very very integrated and woven into the tapestry of himself as a man. You know, I, I, I saw that very clearly in his writing. And he was proud, so proud of of, work, of the work he did on Captain America. Yeah, and it, it, it came through. It came yeah. through in his work. Yeah. Um, you know, you could see the character that he was trying to um to 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 share with the audience, a character that he knew and he loved that maybe wasn't the cool thing in, in during that time period in America, right? right? right. But he stuck with those principles. And and I go back to that list that you referenced, Jason. Um, number eight and number nine really stood out to me uh, as is to really sums up uh, the 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 period of of Mark Grunewald on Captain America. Uh, so so thanks for sharing that. And he wrote those editors. I mean, he conducted those. Thank you. For, I got the number. Oh. So, you know, he taught editors on Monday morning how to write comics. And, you know, those were, you know, kind of his mores and the way he, he operated and, and and really took the task of taking that on himself. Nobody asked him to, to, to create the assistant editor's class. He created that. His father was a teacher. And he created that because he wanted to pass on the legacy of writing writing comic books the right way. And that's what you read were, was very uh, true to how he taught the class. And people are, I mean, there are people today who have taken his class at Marvel and said it, it was life-changing and that they owe a debt of gratitude to him for having that class because no one was teaching anyone how to write comic books the right way. Yeah, and when you were, when you were on the show last, I think it was back in episode 11, you also talked about how he he really wanted everybody to take a screenwriter's class. Yeah. And and that was very important because he could see where comics was going and, and with the movies and, and so on. And this was, you know, back 
back in the eighties. Right. And, and so he could see where things were moving and he uh, insisted that his, his team also learned how to, to do screenwriting. So he, uh, he was very um, generous in that regard too. Yeah. And he, he really, he felt as though, and I, you know, I was talking to Jason about this because I mean, a good storyboarded, uh, you know, uh, comic book is very similar to a screenplay. You know, it's really, uh, you know, uh, just an abbreviated form, but he really loved um, screenwriting. So uh, I think he saw the writing on the wall and probably would have moved out to LA or something, but he was he was gonna start working on screenplays, you know, so, um, but that's very related. I mean, the screenplay and the comic book storyboard is is kind of related, and uh, I, you know, it kind of triggered something with Jason about how different disciplines integrate and how you can take a skill set from one and 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 put it into another, and it makes you a better writer. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you think like a screenplay, if you think like a movie, and you think that the the comic book is a movie. Um, you know, it would be, it would be the next step to kind of just write a screenplay. So, and yeah, that was something he was working on. I wanted to just add very quickly because, because Catherine was setting me up a little bit for a project <laughs> that I'm working on. And, and I want to make sure I take that before we get back to the bracket. Over um, to you, Jason. <laughs> yes, because um, the, the conversation that we're having about the way that different genres can intersect i'm i'm actually writing a textbook about this and and the it's a creative writing textbook in which most of the main chapters are taking two creative writing genres and talking about what you learned from each one um and and talking about being generous with one's time catherine um had a meeting with me a few months ago in which we talked about the intersections between fiction and screenwriting and how i saw comic books there and so it was so exciting for me um to to hear about um, the way Mark saw that too, and and how comics really worked in that way, and and using the storyboard term. So, um, so there there's a little bit of Mark um, in in my work, and also literally in the textbook I'm writing, because there's a section in which we talk about, or I talk about him, um, and and that interest in screenwriting. So it's it's exciting the ways that that Mark gets into different aspects of all of our worlds and works, even when when it isn't as direct as comics, and maybe brackets. Right, Bob? Yeah. Well, let's bring it back to the bracket. So I know, you know, you're not just a fan, but you're an academic as well. And so I know you try to keep up with reading Captain America comics. So based on what you've gleaned from your research, do you have any thoughts uh, about who Mark might have voted for in the bracket? You know, we, we can only speculate here. Um, but but I when I see the stuff that I valued in in Mark's work, um, and I think it can kind of translate. And I think one person that he might have liked perhaps more than the fans did um, might be Nick Spencer. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that Nick did that felt very connected to, to stuff. He brought the, the Serpent Solutions came in. Um, there's a little Cap Wolf stuff that, that was in there. There was a <laughs> sense of humor that, that Nick used in, in a lot of the works. And I, I when I was reading Nick's, Nick's run on 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 a couple, you know, on the Sam Wilson and the and, and maybe less so on the Steve Rogers one. And we'll talk about that elephant in the room in a second. Um, but I, I really felt like there was a lot of stuff in, in Nick's work that that reminded me a lot of, of Mark's. Um, obviously, the reason why um, 
I I can't remember. Was it uh, Roger McKenzie that defeated Nick Spencer in the bracket? So, so oh. maybe there's a lot of um, Roger McKenzie stands uh, <laughs> that are in our group. So let's 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 talk about that. So <clears throat> here's who Mark Grunewald beat to to win. Okay, so. Uh, and 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 we started this with with uh, in the Facebook group. We wanted to have it seated, right? So, based on the amount of votes, you were seated one through thirty-two, and and Mark got the most votes during the seating process. So he was number one. Um, so he went up against number thirty-two, Mike Carlin, uh, which was Bob. Bob knows this. Bob, who who was Mike Carlin? <laughs> Rick, Rick, everybody knows this. Rick, he 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 followed uh, Jam after issue three hundred. Had six issues before Mark took over. Yeah, right. You're, you're brilliant, Bob. You're brilliant. <laughs> okay, so so Mark beat Mark Carlin, and then he went up against seed number sixteen, and he beat Jeff Loeb. Now Jeff Loeb, uh, where some people might associate him with volume two where he worked with Rob Liefeld, but mostly what he's beloved for is the Captain America white miniseries or the fallen sun, which was the death of Captain America miniseries. Then, and this is impressive. Ready? He went up against seed number eight, Jack Kirby. Now, not Jack Kirby, the uh, artist, Jack Kirby, the writer. And he won and he beat out Jack Kirby. Then it got down to the final four. And he went up against J.M. DeMatteis. Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite cap writers. It's who I grew up on. And he beat DeMatteis, then went to the finals, and he went up against number two seed, Ed Brubaker. And it was a close one. It was close, but he did win. And so I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to bring it back to, I did reach out to some of the other writers in the bracket uh, to get their thoughts on Gru. And, and I heard back from a few. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis was the writer for Cap from 1981 to 1984. And, and as I mentioned, he was voted into the final four. And a lot of people may have forgotten this, but Mark was J.M.'s editor starting in 1982. And the two of them worked closely together on the series for a couple of years. And so JM uh, shared with shared with me the following, which I'll read uh, here on the show. Mark wasn't just a wonderful editor and writer. He was a friend. As much as fans may justifiably admire the great body of work he left behind, the real loss for those of us who knew him even all these years later, is his absence from our lives. Mark was smart. He was funny. He was creative, passionately in love with comics, and most important, a genuinely good person. That loss still echoes on. Yeah. So, so Catherine, perhaps you could talk a little bit about the impact Mark made on people's personal lives as, as we witnessed during the 20 the year memorial you held in, in 2016. Yeah. I, I mean, I had uh, people like Denny O'Neill speak, Tom Brevoort, Tom DeFalco, uh, you know, Danny Fingeroth, Carl Potts. Um, and there's kind of a through line. I, I wrote an article for, um, uh, the uh, uh, back issue with uh, John, uh, I mean, uh, Michael Urey and uh, 
the tomorrows and it was called grew the influencer and it was like leaving an indelible mark and um i didn't i didn't have enough i i wrote the preface to it but i i let i let everyone speak on their own in their own voice and um you know fans people who worked with him uh you know it, it just came down to that one that that essence of him just being like a great guy you know he always cared about everyone he worked especially when marvel was firing people he had to fire 25 people on christmas week mm. and talk about heartbreaking i mean they really did break his heart um he was really upset about that you know um and they wouldn't let him uh help get uh, work for anyone so it was like he was his hands were tied and when I first started dating him I went to his apartment he had photo he had uh, eight by tens of the people at the Marvel office hung up on his wall framed on his wall and uh, that was his universe those were the people that he loved that he worked with everyone from Virginia Ramita to Millie to uh, Florence Steinberg, I mean, everyone was on that wall. And I said, most people want to get away from the people they work with. Mark framed them all and cared so much about this one's tuition, that one's got a mortgage, this, you know, so he really, um, you know, he, he, he took it, he really took it to heart. Uh, and that was something that really impressed me with how that whole universe of, of Marvel um, people, editors, uh, staff, bullpen. Uh, and I took so much away from that because I, that's the way I do my events now. I don't put myself as the, 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 the guy who knows all the answers. And Mark said, I'll take an idea from a two-year-old. So you have to leave yourself open for that. And, um, you know, he was constant. He said everything was tax deductible. So <laughs> he would go to my shows. He would go to whatever. And he could put it into the book. And, you know, uh, in fact, my niece visited us uh, right after we were married. And he created her, made her an amalgam of me and my niece into Free Spirit. Yeah, I love this story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Free spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Came from, and her name is very close to, yes, to what the Kathy character's Webster. name. So Kat, it, it was Kath, Kathy Weber. And then I, she was named for me. So, uh, you know, it was like the fashion and the hate men, hunt men, hurt men. And, <laughs> and he just, he created that after she uh, went back, she stayed with us for eight weeks. And um, it was great. Um, but I saw him, you know, just like every good writer does, you know, writes from what he knows, but he would make, he made my sister like, a, you know, some, someone in the lab, you know, in the, in the story. And, uh, you know, those little Easter eggs that were just so telling. Uh, and I just, you know, I just really feel like he, he cared so much about Marvel. He said, I am Mark Eugene Grunewald, Marvel Entertainment Group, M-E-G. I am, you know, I am, I am with this company. I love working with him. And, you know, he just, and even now that I'm getting to know Shooter, um, you know, I, I'm taking the high road on the Shooter thing. Because, 
I mean, think about it. He did hire a lot of the greatest people who were working in the industry at that moment. And it couldn't have been easy for him being a young kid trying to make people sign their vouchers. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. I mean, Shooter had his, um, his foibles, but he also, you know, you have to be a fan turned pro. You know, uh, that's one thing. Like, Mark- and Mark was. Mark was yeah. a fan turned pro. Yeah. Right. So he appreciated those those people who just weren't in it as a job. It was uh, comics were everything to him, everything. And the people he worked with at the comic book uh, industry, um, it just you know it was all tightly woven into this whole uh, tapestry of his life. It just um, he never he, he he always was thinking of comics, always twenty four seven. Always, always, always. And so uh, I took a lot of that uh, in the way that I run my my event production company. So I put a lot of different aspects into it and make it very personal. And um, I care about everyone who's working backstage. And I learn their name. I know who they are. And I know what dreams they're trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, I'll try and fulfill that because I want to be the person I wish I had met when I first moved to New York. So that's kind of my, the way that I took from the, the bullpen and the way Mark was such a great leader. But he, he had a lot of fun too. So I, uh, I, I really, I don't have Mark's killer sense of humor. So I don't make things as much fun as Mark. <laughs> made um you know everyone uh just he was he was so funny and uh i just you know i revel in, in what he was able to do with the fans with the office with i mean he really uh he he just he, he got a kick out of uh, of what he did and he just loved uh, he loved every uh, everyone being part of and i think he if, if you could make somebody laugh you know, if you could make them want to come to work, it wasn't easy, you know, being a person who, you know, was senior executive editor, trying to make people operate on a deadline. Yeah, you sure. have a dream job, you're, you're in the creative. But, you know, if, if uh, someone said my, my uh, uncle died one more time, <laughs> how many times can your dog die? You know, <laughs> you know, it's just he heard every excuse. And he tried to set that example where I mean yes he had an unending vat of ideas that he pulled from I have never met a a, a person who was more creative and more I mean 10 bad ideas one good idea it didn't matter he just kept the ideas you know coming and they were very groanable you know (laughs) they some of them were just laughably bad and he liked that too you know, he would just, he would just laugh and everybody relied on him for that kind of, of, um, wit and wisdom. Mm. But well, obviously it's just, it's a huge loss in the industry. I, I, you know, but you know, it's just, you just integrate it, you know? So I, I feel as though I was fortunate to know him and I'm his legacy advocate. And it's something that I take very, very personally, and I do a lot in his name. And, uh, you know, I think um, that he'd be very proud of uh, how his work lives on, you know, with what we're talking about right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he said, I can't imagine living having an insignificant life. So the fact that we're talking about somebody 26 years later, 
I hope somebody remembers me 26 years from now. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Catherine, uh, Jason, you know, we, we do have some questions from um, some, some of our patrons, uh, all of which are, are group fans. And so are you both trying to answer uh, a game to answer some of them? Sure. Sure. All right. Yes. All right. Well, the first one we have is from Ash Barnes, and she asks, out of all of Mark's greatest creations, one of my personal favorite creations is U.S. Agent. Either of you have any thoughts you might want to share on that character about uh, maybe where he was coming from or what he was trying to achieve with that character? Go ahead, Jason. I, I always love the the interview that he gave where he talked about the origin of the character, um, how fans were asking why Captain America can't be more like Rambo. We can put ourselves very squarely mm -hmm. in the 80s, right? right. Um, and and his, his answer was always, well, my interpretation of Steve Rogers is not Rambo. There's no way that Steve Rogers can ever be Rambo. But if you want Rambo, I can do it. Um, and that's where the character came from. But but it's even more complicated than that and more interesting than that because we're talking about Mark, right? So it's we know it's more interesting. Um, that Super Patriot comes out of the idea of all of the, the, a lot of the villains that he introduced in that first year of the comic representing different ideologies that sort of stand in contrast to, to what mm -hmm. Steve and Captain America is representing. And so you have characters that, that represent things like anti-nationalism and, and, and stuff like this. Flag Smasher. Flag Man. Smasher. Um, but then you keep get, going, keep going. I can name them. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with Super Patriot, though. But what okay. does Super Patriot represent? Oh, what, what would what would the category be? Yeah. Uh, that would be kind of like over the top. That would be yeah. just a far extremist. So you know? if if Captain America is patriotic, does that mean that patriotism is always good? And Mark seems to come to the conclusion that not really. Um, so then we get this hyper over the top version of that in, in Super Patriot, which then becomes Captain America, which is a fascinating way to take this character. So you've got Rambo, but you've also got Rambo taking patriotism to a level that is completely unhealthy and unsafe um, for, for everyone. So, so I think that that's, that's a fascinating take that we get to. Um, and, and so that's what I always think of with the characters, just what a, what a wonderful series of origins and and what an interesting character and how Mark makes that character sympathetic um, as it goes down. How the heck does he do that? Um, but as we continue, we kind of we don't like um, John Walker. At least I don't like John Walker as a character fully. But I kind of I'm kind of looking forward to when he shows up later on um, as it moves on. And and I, I think that that's an amazing accomplishment that he takes someone who really represents a lot of the things that Steve doesn't, but still makes him compelling. I mean, he was just, Mark was so good at making compelling characters. Um, and it's so much fun to read them. Yeah, he loved, and I, I remember when I was watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier and that whole um, campaign, Not My Cap, uh, mm. because they, they had that stupid chin strap on uh, uh, Wyatt Russell that made him look like the guy from Up. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was kind of a goofy looking costume so they were trying to make him unsympathetic or you know like look like a doofus but um i think that you know he he, he he it was a necessary evil and it was one that um he knew how to introduce and uh, johnny walker was funny because it's you know it's alcohol and you know right. the whole 
Johnny Walker and um but he uh he he really liked that character because it represented kind of a yes man you know and and and, and, and you know my country do or die and uh you know just you know whatever whatever the the government wants you to do you do and that was definitely um a great foil for him to create this character that actually showed Cap's depth and showed his integrity and um, you know, that he didn't appreciate the fact that the government was making him do something that he, and he didn't want to do. And they were, um, uh, you know, he, but they found somebody who would do it. And it was in the form of U.S. agent. It was just such a, a great, uh, a, a great story art and mm -hmm. mind to, to, to introduce. Yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun covering it here on the podcast. We we did the whole thing. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun covering a panel by panel. Um, all right, so Chet Cox asks this question, and and I don't know, Jason, this might be more for you because I think it's more of a comic geek kind of question. But he said, "I always wondered why, with Marx, a treatise on reality in comic literature, yeah. and Omniverse." Why did Mark not explain away Cap and Namor's initial common amnesia in Avengers 4, the very moment he put his foot in Marvel's door? And I think I, I, I think that's a good question because, you know, because Mark was known as the continuity cop for Marvel. And so do you think he would have gotten to that Stanley Jack Kirby oversight at some point? It, it's it's funny that oversight too, isn't it? You, you go back in, the, in that issue, and not only does Cap not remember anymore, he even makes a comment about, "Wow, wouldn't it have been interesting to have interacted with this person?" Yeah, back during the war, and so it's like this sort of wink at it. Um, what? I, yeah, I, I think I think if it would have been relevant to a story that Mark was writing, then he would have addressed it. Um, I, I think the continuity cop thing was absolutely true, but it was also not going to be at the extent at the expense of any story that he was writing. Um, I, I know there's a quote that I, I include in, in, in my book where he talks about not wanting to see continuity as a slavish, single-minded, um, like devotion to trivial ideas, that, that you can't just have it just connect the dots, that there has to be a reason for it. Um, so I think with like that example, which is a very, very valid example, it's it's kind of absurd, frankly, um, in that in that issue. And and I think if there would have been a relevant moment for Mark to address it, he would have, but I don't think he was somebody who was going to connect those dots just for the sake of doing it. The story and the characters mattered most. Um, I, heck, I wish somebody would have, because it's kind of strange, but you know, Cap just thought out, maybe just forgot the, nearly naked winged footed man that was trying to kill of course him i think I mean, roy thomas I, roy yeah, thomas i think explained it at some point i i, I, I don't know but you're right roy, roy did in that one issue that uh, i think he he wrote um so uh we got another one nate charles asks uh and this might be good for you Catherine, if you want to tackle this one um otherwise we can kick it over to jason and see what he has to say but with such a run a lengthy run and and such a deep adoration of the character was there anything that mark was particularly proud to have added to the cap mythos well he took it on he you know he said that uh they were going to cancel it you know they were going to cancel Cap, and um, he's he, he really thought that he could he could 
take it on and add d dimension and depth to it. And I think he, I think he did. Um, and, you know, just, I, I think in those days, like we're talking about ancient times here, but in those days when books were, were, were selling very well and people were reading it and they were reading it for the storyline and they were reading it for interesting messages and, you know, what the philosophies were behind it. I think that uh, Mark loved the the ability to take that on because he felt like, I mean, he was a, a Midwestern guy from, you know, Wisconsin. He was a kid from Wisconsin. Doesn't get more Midwest than that. When he took me back to his hometown, he took me to where he got his Boy Scout badge. He took me to the fire engine house, he took me to where he had his first job. I mean, it, you know, he was Captain America. He believed in the, the institutions of the American way and, you know, family and all those values. He wasn't religious, uh, you know, at all. He was more spiritual in that respect. But that was the only thing that I think a lot of people associate with America now, you know, is, is this whole religious aspect and that was something he totally wanted to avoid so i think it gave him a platform to really um analyze the the discrepancies in society you know he he, he uh he read the new york times every day um you know he 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 got the a copy of the new york times it's way before the internet and it was delivered to our doorstep and he read that thing cover to cover and he was always talking and he would, he scoured it. There was a, a, a something in Marvel Age, I guess Marks and Marks or, or, or something, but it's like couplets, like two different things that were happening. He was always looking for those kind of um, trending, you know, word plays. Um, so, you know, he, he studied what was going on in society. He studied... I, I, you know, he 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 made me watch Poldark. I mean, Poldark is his secret sauce. Joseph Campbell is his secret sauce, and he doesn't really talk too much about it. But as his wife, we watched Poldark, and I watched Joseph Campbell, Bill, Bill Moyers, Joseph Campbell. If you want to understand the way Mark loved loved the hero's journey, um, Joseph Campbell is his really his secret sauce, and he was very, you know, he, he was very true to that that aspect. I, I think another thing that Marx really prided himself on was the consistency that he was able to give the character as a writer. Um, that that Cap had never had a writer that was on for a huge duration of time. We had great writers, mm. obviously, that preceded Mark. We had a whole bracket full of at least some of them. But I, I think that that was something that was really important to him, that he had that that amazing run um, at it. And, you know, we we talked a little bit about other writers that would follow Mark, and obviously we got to talk about Brewbreaker at least a little bit um, as the the runner up. And I, I think one of the things that Mark would really be happy about is that there'd be somebody that would have followed that wouldn't have had quite as long a run, and maybe he'd be okay with that. Not that he was competitive, <laughs> maybe he didn't quite reach that ten year mark. But but Brewbreaker put such an imprint on the comic in such a long run that was so distinctive um, and you know very different than what Mark did, and, and a different interpretation of the character and the supporting cast. But but I think that that's something that really seemed to matter is that he gave that that comic some stability and as, as Catherine says life that it might not have had um if he wouldn't have taken over and excelled in the way that he did 
So we we have a we have another question from uh, from Catman who uh, was recently a guest on the show as well, and he wrote, "I I met Mark once when he was an editor, and he was incredibly kind and attentive. I think he's one of the all time greats." When Mark was writing Cap, he was firmly against killing. For example, Modoc in issue uh, 313. In later issues, Mark, uh, Mark's Cap physically blocks Nomad from killing the slug. How do you think Mark would justify his point of view on killing compared to most of the comic creators who have come after him? So, Cap, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I he was... He was very. He he, he didn't like uh, serial murders. He did not like. Um, murder I'm against and those death. too. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just, yeah, I'm on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and then I, when I was watching the the uh, Falcon and the Wounded Soldier, and the and he kills uh, Flag Smasher with the shield, and there's blood on that shield. Mm. Uh, you know, I I just. You know, I was like, oh, my God, you know, Mark just he was very anti-violence. He was very anti-violence, even though, you know, you would say um, that the comic book world, you know, <laughs> between scantily clad women and, you know, like uh, the, the role of violence in, in comics, um, you could make an argument for that. But I don't think that Mark ever... Uh, wanted to have those those tokenisms that gr gratuitous kind of uh, and um, you know that that was very that just wasn't didn't he just uh, it was too easy too you want to kill somebody really how about out with them how about you know um, get into their psyche and then mm -hmm. figure out how to trick them you know that would have been so much more interesting to him than just killing them you know, Jason, oh, Jason, you wrote about this in your book, right? And so do you have something you want to add? I do. And and I, I think that it's interesting, the examples that, that Catman gives, because there are others, too. I mean, there's a lot of them. And I, it reminds me of something that Catherine said earlier, which was how, how important it was for Mark to give conflict to the, the character of Steve Rogers and Captain America. And one of the ways he does it is so interesting, because it's from a moralistic perspective. That, that Cap is sort of conflicted by his own morality, but he's not really. And, and I think not of an issue that involves killing, but one where um, Sidewinder asks Cap for help um, to, oh, to yeah. help get money for his sick daughter. And, and Cap helps, but only in the condition that he will arrest Sidewinder. Um, and, and Diamondback, who is obviously a character who's going to be more conflicted and feels more like human in this perspective that there are these moments where he depicts steve's morality as like is it is it okay is it a problem especially as it goes on and i know that the answer is no it's not um because steve rogers is always going to do the right thing and that's that's the way it is but in those later issues and maybe it's reflecting um mark's own perception of a changing world that he's in he never wavers but then it's also a question of like well where do i fit in in this world and I, which i think is such a, a fascinating sophisticated way of looking at this um and and you know i think that that mark would justify it because this is a character who who has a strong sense of right and wrong and killing is wrong and and yeah you know we get back to the continuity thing does that contradict things that that happened earlier well sure you know um i can defer to somebody who's not here on this we um 
take a look at Jay Richard Stevens' book, um, where he has a lot of specific um, sections that talk about the 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 numbers of death at different times and how it decreases. And and when Steve does have to kill a a, a ultimatum agent, um, Greg, do you want to give me the acronym and what it stands for? I'm kidding. Oh, you gonna throw me <laughs> under the bus like that? Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say, uh, talking about J. Richard Stevens, um, it, check out episode 47 when we have a long conversation with J. Richard Stevens about his book. But go ahead, Jason. You can continue now. Uh, <laughs> the book, uh, Captain America, Masculinity and Violence. Is yes, that, yes, uh, yes. Okay. Which is a great book. And, and it was a, a great podcast. Oh, thank you. You're you're welcome. I, and so I I think that there's a lot of really um, interesting and compelling stuff that Mark does with morality. It doesn't feel boring. You know, it doesn't feel like okay, Steve's always going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, but sometimes it's a journey. And he had and I, as I talk about in the book, he has to sometimes take a while to reach the moralistic conclusion. And there are times in which, you know, Steve will have a question like, "Ooh, should I?" Should I join Shield in order to make the, the the murder that I committed of shooting that that ultimatum agent in order to save all those people to kind of cover that up? Should I join Shield and then they'll just make that whole problem go away? And we know we won't do that because that's not the right thing to do. Um, yet he takes time to try to figure it out. There's a time where he considers taking the the, the I don't remember what it was the the treatment that will turn him into a, a super buff wrestler dude, oh, and yeah, yeah. he debates should I do broker. it because you know, I can keep up with guys like, like super Patriot and we know he won't do that. Um, but it takes time because he still has to reason. He still has to think. Um, one of my favorite things about Mark, why Mark is my favorite comic writer of all time is everyone thinks so much. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things about your episodes where you're reading through those issues. Um, the thought balloons gotta love them. Mark, there's was the so many. Mark was brilliant at those. You would get thought balloons like the janitor. Would be sweeping, and then you would get a thought balloon from the janitor going, "Wow, that's a crazy looking person." You know, Mark was brilliant at that, and he 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 allowed us to to get into the thoughts of of not only the the major characters but some of the minor characters. And some of my favorite stories that you're pointing out, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jason, but but you got me excited. But some of my favorite parts were just seeing the inner monologue that Steve you know, just grippled with just uh, doing the right thing. And, and, and it showed with his confliction that he was just like us. Right. He may have had this super, super soldier serum, but when it came down to it, he was just like any one of us readers right. and that we all struggled with something and Steve struggled with it. But, and ultimately what did he do? He did the right thing. And just like, any of us can do the right thing if we just ask what would cap do yeah oh i love i have my little circle <laughs> i have that <laughs> oh i'm sorry jason i interrupted you no that was a wonderful thought it's it's one of the things that i love about Mark is a writer, and especially the way that he writes Captain America, is because he emphasizes the importance of service and and being there for other people. You know, and I think that's one of the differences between his take on Cap and a lot of the stuff that happens after, a lot of the stuff that happened before, where Cap was more of a, a shield agent or kind of um adjacent to shield, um, where Cap sets up a hotline and you know hey there's something weird in my barn let's call captain america he can come and check it out and see what's going on and and that's what 
Captain America would do. It's like, okay, I hear you got a weird thing in the barn. Let's go see what it is. And and I I, I love that. It's like sort of showing the way that we can take service directly to the people. And and I think it's been an inspiring thing for me. And I've I've learned in my life, starting with those comics at a very early age, how important it is to be there for other people. And and Mark really taught me that through Cap. So so getting back to Catman's question about Mark justifying, and you you explained that very well. But he talked about the comic creators who came after him. I know you and we we talked a little off air about you were mentioning Ed Brubaker. Um and uh, but you know, Mark ended up beating Ed Brubaker in 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 the bracket. Um, that you had said there's there's also some similarities between him and Mark, where Ed kind of carried Mark's torch uh, that may may not be so obvious. Maybe maybe you can just point that out. Yeah, I think that the longevity is certainly one of them. Long form storytelling. You know, one one thing that Mark did that was so great was he would have long storylines that would have smaller storylines in them. You know, you, we talked earlier about the 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 John Walker Captain um, storyline that goes on for issue after issue with all sorts of sub stories that are in there. That's something the Brewbreaker did really well too. That you'd have these long arcs, um, but then the arcs themselves would connect to each other. I think. The first thing that Mark wanted to do, based on the things that he said, was Cap needs a better um, rogues gallery. Uh, Cap's villains are not up to where we need to be. <laughs> so that that first year, that's one of the main things he did. Never never de-emphasizing Steve, but but building up these different villains and and creating compelling new adversaries in a lot of ways for that. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the first things Brewbreaker did is wanted to to bring in. Um, new characters, specifically Winter Soldier, that were going to bulk and strengthen the things that are going on. Um, I think that Winter Soldier, in some ways, feels a little John Walker, a little um, uh, rogue Captain America. Obviously, it's a more sympathetic character. It's a character who was not able to make um, these decisions on his own initially, where John Walker, in theory, was. Um, but I, I think that having this um, this this more violent prone um this more prone to violence version of captain america was something that happened in both in very different ways i mean brewbreaker takes it in a very very different way i don't know how mark would have felt about a, a steve rogers that was maybe not the as morally pure in some ways i mean he's not impure but but he seems to have less conflict over certain things at times he seems to um be less inclined toward uh platonic relationships with women <laughs> Um, then, then but he did take Diamond back. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But um, you know, Bad but it, girl it, of all times. And it all seemed to happen mostly off panel, right? Where, where <laughs> it feels it feels less uh, less implied and more more direct in Brewbreaker, which you know they're just a different era and a different approach. But I I think they do have a lot in common. They both were right in Cap. I, you know, when it comes to me and I think about this, when I have read the Brewbreaker run if it didn't have Captain America on it. Um, and I don't know if I would have, because I don't know if it's if the approach and style would have captured my imagination, because I am very much a, a superhero kind of mm -hmm. reader. Um, but that would have been to, to my disservice, because I think it's a brilliant run. And, and I really enjoyed reading it, even if it makes me uncomfortable at times. Um, and I think that was something the Brewbreaker was going for. Um, I think it's a challenging, difficult um work i i enjoy reading marks more um but i think that there's a lot of value to it and i think i would hope 
that there'd be things that maybe Mark would really like about it too. I don't know. All right, one one more question from a patrons. Uh, Joshua and Van Dyne asks, and, and Catherine, you may know this. Uh, you may know the answer to this. Did Mark have a plan to end his time with Cap before he got the news that he was being kicked off the book, or would he have just kept writing it until he ran out of ideas if Marvel had let him? Yeah, I I think he was. Um... He was sad, but, you know, uh, I don't think he really, he's a typical type A personality. You know, he didn't let me see, you know, well, I guess they just think that, you know, I've come to the end of my uh, usefulness um, and they want to give it to somebody else. And I think it saddened him, but um, he didn't want to admit it, but, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, I know Sean Howe goes into how he had that uh, issue in his backpack that is the the uh, the weekend that he died, you know. And I I didn't look in his backpack, <laughs> but um, it really it really came out, and I, I don't think he he was happy with how you know what what um, uh, they did you know with Cap, and it was horrible. And uh, he, he just was, he was baffled. And I think they were kind of grasping at straws and trying to to sell more books. And, you know, I don't think, you know, he he got caught up in all, all that. And I mean, yes, it's all about sales and hey, we have to pay people salaries and all that. But um, I, I just, I think he would have loved to have stayed on. Okay. He, had, he had a lot more to say. And uh, he would have definitely... Um, you know, thought up some really great storylines and and kept kept working on it because why not? <laughs> you know, we've come this far. I don't think I know that story about the backpack. What what which issue of Captain America was in his backpack? Well, uh, they took him off the book in ninety five. Then mm -hmm. and then, so it took a, a while for the new issues to come out, and I think that one dropped that summer that um uh and you know he i i think it was probably sometime in august when when they they released that okay. and sean said in his book you know that you know it really it bothered him because it was not up to type of storyline that he would have done and oh. um that you know, he's just trying to show how they broke his heart. <laughs> you know? So this was the, uh, was this the volume two? Uh, the, is it Liefeld? Was yeah. Liefeld? yeah. Was that it? Okay. Well, there was a, a, a period um, between when Mark left and when Rob Liefeld took over. And uh, that was Mark Wade. And um, so, you know, he followed and, uh, he he actually made it to the final four of the bracket, Mark Wade. And when we mentioned to to Mark um, that we were celebrating Gru today, he he actually sent the following message. It's hard to count the number of ways in which I miss Mark and in which this industry is poorer without him, even after all these years. When he passed the baton to me on Captain America, he was unbelievably kind, accessible and helpful, passing along reams of research and notes he cooked up during his tenure and eager to answer any questions I might have. 
I have such respect for Mark, his talent, and his cap run in particular. He'll always be remembered as one of the greats. Yeah, I mean, he he wanted to make sure that whoever took it over, if it wasn't his continuing on it, that the cat that that the the character didn't suffer because he really cared about the characters as much as he cared about those people on the wall that he framed. He cared about the characters, and um, that was his responsibility to to pass that baton on and to be as gracious as as possible because it would make Marvel look good. You know, he really was Mark Eugene Grunwald. He was MEG. And, you know, that's the right thing to do. So if Cap didn't get the job, he would help the, the guy, you know, who had the job that he didn't get. And that's that's why Mark was very special because he could sublimate his um, ego and, uh you know, to the reality of the fact that this character must go on and everything that he had done would be diminished if the character wasn't strong going forward with a new writer. And I think that was that was something that uh, he was very capable of doing. And um, it was just a really good, admirable trait. Not everybody could do that. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to undermine the person who's coming out after me. I want them to look bad, so I look good. That never crossed his mind. Well, speaking of, of gracious, um, I just want to say thank you for for both of you, uh, Catherine and Jason, for being so gracious with your time to come on to today's episode to help celebrate Mark. But before we let you go, uh, Catherine, uh, maybe you could start. What's keeping you busy nowadays? Is is there are there any upcoming projects you can share with the listeners? Yeah. Um... I do a lot of, you know, work with his hometown. We have a Mark Grunwald comic book creation challenge that happens every year. And uh, Zeroni's Pizza, the House of Heroes, the uh, uh, Aviation Museum, the Literacy Council, and the Oshkosh Public Library uh, all conduct this comic book challenge. And they have six different categories, a family category, age six all the way up to 60 and um every year we judge uh and my producer uh publishes the books because he's a he's got a publishing house so that's going to start in may 5th and then um i started cosmoda cosplay runway because mark always came to my fashion shows and said comics and fashion are very related so i just made comic con have a baby with fashion week ah, and, <laughs> so and cosmoda is that how can people find out more about Cosmoda? Uh, just go on uh, Instagram to cosplay.runway and you'll see Cosmoda. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just uh, ramping up. We're going to do some really interesting stuff with um, the next iteration and uh, talking to Frank Miller and maybe doing some uh, very specific Sin City uh, cosplay uh, run with that. And Wilson Kevich, we're doing some good stuff with him. And um, my friend had a flood in his comic book store. So I'm making these bracelets out of old comic books. And, oh, uh, oh so, no. So Gru would love that because I'm sustainable. So instead of throwing them in the landfill, I am making comic book bracelets. So I'm calling them power pieces, heroic adornment. And how, <laughs> how do we find out more about that? It's on Instagram at power.pieces. So power dot pieces, earrings, 
And uh, I just did a whole custom series for uh, Xena. And I did Wonder Woman, which is Cat uh, Mark's first love. Mm-hmm. He was a big uh, JLA person. And, uh, you know, he loved Wonder That was his first crush. So I just did a whole series on Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, we, we will have to check those out. <laughs> uh, and Jason, how about you? What You got any projects coming up? I do. I already shamelessly plugged it earlier, oh, um, but, but we'll reiterate yeah. um, that, that uh, intersecting uh, genres, which is a creative writing textbook in which, I, as I said earlier, takes um, different genres and sort of compares, contrasts, talks about what you learn from one while writing another, um, is going to be coming out from Bloomsbury Academic Publishing in uh, September of this year. And um, so I've been working on that, getting that all together, finished the proofs for that. It, it looks like a real book. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Well, um, I know we have a lot of listeners who have always thought about getting into writing comics and creative writing. So uh, that that probably will be very helpful to them. I It was a lot of fun to, to write. And as I'm a creative writer. My background is specifically in poetry. I have a PhD in creative writing poetry, but I've always really loved writing prose and, and anything. I, I I never wanted to just feel like I only can write in one genre. And and I don't, you know, I've written in poetry and fiction and academic comic book um, criticism and, and everything else. So I, I wanted to kind of take that passion and, and carry it on. So so I'm excited about seeing that book. And and then I... I, my Wait, other... no, I have a question about that book. Is yeah. there an ultimatum haiku in that book? There is not. Okay. <laughs> Are there Rick? Rick also wants to know: Are there a lot of pictures? <laughs> just a lot of pictures of ultimatum agents. It's weird. I don't know how uh, it fits. Well, maybe I'll check it out then. Uh, you know. It's there. Um, no, I, I do not have a, a lot of haiku in this collection. But who knows what my next project will be? My my immediate plans. Um, and as a college professor, I, I, I've got to get through the next few weeks and then I'd love to, to rest. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but, but those would be my, my, my ideal plans. Yeah. Now I just want to say one thing old. about your book, the, the uh, Star Spangled book. When I read that book, I've read it a couple of times. I feel like I'm inside Mark's head and I feel like you really, you know, really understood him. And when I asked you why you didn't call me, why didn't you interview people? You said you didn't need to because everything you got about Mark, you understood from his work. And I think that's just so commendable. And um, and it really shows. And I feel like I'm spending time with my husband again when I read your book. That That's about the nicest thing that anyone yeah. said. I, when you first reached out to me afterwards, I, I told my wife and I, we were just giddy. Um, it, it's, you know, I... Mark told me what I needed to know um, yeah. by reading the text, by reading, you know, different Mark's remarks and different things and letter columns and all that. Mark, Mark gave me the information I needed. Um, and, and I, I, but I'm so pleased to get to talk to you and others and, and get that, that endorsement and that, that, that encouragement. It just, it means the world to me. Yeah. I, I, and I really like, like Mark him. always said, when he was, when he find, when he found out that he could write, mm-hmm. get out of your own way. Just tell the story. Just allow that to. You don't try 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 and write. You know, you just you you have such a clear voice, and um, it, it, you know, it just comes through. So you you know, you've really done the group crowd. <laughs> and and also, that's a huge testament to Mark himself and the fact that Jason was able to to understand him through his writing. I know. Uh, it blew me away when he said that. I didn't need to talk to anybody. I knew Mark through his work. 
like, my oh goodness, my God, I sound very arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is an excellent book. And I, we do encourage people to check that out. So again, uh, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Jason, yes. for, for coming onto the show. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, your, your, your time and uh, now this opportunity to celebrate grew. Yeah. I, and I'm glad that everybody, uh, you know, uh, appreciates his work still and that it's going to live on. And that's the true test of uh, a, an influencer is like how your work lives on and resonates. And I think it's even more relevant today. I mean, they can't write these kind of stories. I mean, it's all happened. Just way Mark said it, it's all happening. So it's a, it, it's interesting that he probably had some pressure about that and, you know, had the crystal ball um, that, you know, the, we, we really need to, I, I, I actually said it when the, when the election was happening, Captain America needs to run. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it, it, it's a really wonderful opportunity to experience um, Mark again through his fans and through people who appreciate what he contributed to the industry because he, it meant everything to him. It, you know, he really lived and breathed comic books. And that's why I could get along with him because I had my own career and I didn't need him to pay attention to me. And when are you going to stop with that comic book stuff? Which his wife and his other girlfriend said, you know, like, what about me? And I said, no, you, I understand your purpose in, on, in this, this whole scheme and your purpose on the planet. So you know, we can, we'll have time together when you're done writing. And I know he will always make it because he was very disciplined about that. If he wrote from 12 to six, he would see me at 630. And he never, he never wavered. He said, I'll see you at 630. And he knew he had to wrap it up. And, you know, so if I, if I wanted to see him at four, I knew not to do that because he, he, he had writing times and I gave him that. You know, so anybody out there who ha has a creative husband or, you know, significant other in their life, give them that, give them that time because that is, um, that's who they are. That's really who they are. And so Bob, are you going to ask, ask, uh, Casey to listen to this episode now? Uh, no, she, I've already, she'll say no, so I'm just... <laughs> but I'm not a creative type. So, uh, right. what have I know. done? The wives are going to hang up on <laughs> Don't Jason. forget to take out the garbage. There you go. I did that already tonight, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It's Tuesday night. It's done. It's Tuesday night. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And this was a delight to get to talk about Mark's work and, and how it's mattered and how it still resonates. And as, as Catherine was saying, it's it's such a testament to what he did that we're still talking about this. And <laughs> and it's a testament yeah. to you too, Catherine, that you've done such a great job of of carrying on his legacy and working toward that. It's it's wonderful. And and I I hope that through this podcast, through this tournament, through everything that we've done, um, that people will continue to discover his work and and see all the good that it can bring. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining the show. Bye, guys. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. All right, Bob. It was fun going down memory lane with with Catherine and Jason talking about some great stories about Mark. Um, and I'm so happy we were able to do this and help celebrate him. And, uh, and, you know, just, uh, talk about his legacy as a, as a, a, an amazing Captain America writer.
Yeah. And we had the right two people on the show to, to do just that. So um, if, if you haven't read the star spangled symbolism of Captain America, uh, the book that Jason Olson uh, published about a year, a year and a half ago about Mark Grunewald's 10 year run, definitely encourage you to pick it up because it's a fabulous read. Absolutely. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and then come back next episode, 135, where we revisit volume seven. And we are now part four of Castaway and Dimension Z. And it's getting real interesting, Bob. Real interesting. Yeah. Cap has been uh, stuck in Dimension Z for years now. Years. And he's trying to raise and keep alive the young Ian, who uh, was uh, essentially, uh, you know, you could say Arnim Zola's son, right? That he engineered. Um, and and it, it's just a, it's a really cool story. So uh, make sure you come back next, next episode for part four. I will be there. All right, Bob. I can't promise uh, more than that, but I'll be there. Uh, but yeah, it's the least you could do. <laughs> All right, he's Bob Lucius, I'm Rick Verbonis, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. So, Bob, we do have a current Captain America writer who, who wanted to chime in on celebrating Mark Grunewald. Really? Who? Well, that would be uh, Tochi Oyabuchi. I love Tochi. For those of you who aren't familiar with his work, that would be the current writer for the Sam Wilson Captain America series, which is Captain America Symbol of Truth. Mm -hmm. And so Tochi has been the writer for that series since the beginning. And when he learned about favorite Captain America writer, March Madness bracket, he was ob obviously honored to be part of that, but also he, he had a few words that he wanted to share um, for the winner, Mark Grunewald. Well, that's, that's a great surprise. I, I love Tochi. We had a great conversation with him and I'm excited to hear what he has to say about uh, the grand, grand winner of it all, Mark Grunewald. Yeah, first of all, he was very honored to, who make, to make it into the Sweet 16, so he was excited about that. But regarding Mark Grunewald, he wrote, I knew writing Captain America that I would be joining some august company. And Mark Grunewald, with his stewardship and his storytelling, has been both an inspiration and an aspiration for me. The Captain America should have enemies and mirrors specific to him was my guiding light in writing Symbol of Truth. And I have Mark to thank for teaching me that. Hmm. That's really great. Yeah, that was very nice by Tochi. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, Mark Olson had kind of commented on that, right? Mm -hmm. About Mark Grunewald's theory of, of it was important for Cap to have enemies that mirror specific, you know, portions of him. Mm hmm and and he talked a little bit about that in our conversation tonight. But um, the fact that Tochi took that to the next level, and Tochi is using that in his current series with Symbol of Truth. That that's pretty cool. That is cool. That is cool. Standing on the uh, shoulders of giants. Hundred percent. Yeah, 
So thanks, Tochi, for, for sharing your thoughts on uh, Mark Grunewald.